this morning, I was sitting in my office, and I was nervous. This has nothing to do with the sermon, by the way. And I do that a lot. Um, and, I, and I thought of, I'm, I was sitting there, and I was very nervous. I was thinking about stuff, and I just I kept thinking, God, why, why do you want me to do this? Why am I up here? And I, and I thought of Sally, Miss Sally's Facebook. I put on there, and if you remember it, God won't give us a life where we don't need him. And I said, God, I need you right now because I'm, I'm worried that I'm going to say something I shouldn't say. I'm going to do something I shouldn't do. And I could feel his presence. He said, I'm the one that called you to do it. I'll see you through it. So we're going to start now. This, that, 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 that was from this, this morning. It had nothing to do with the sermon prep or anything like that. So how's everybody doing today? Good? All right. I like being interactive, by the way. That's just me. That's my style. I like, I, I might ask you guys some questions. And it's not rhetorical. I want, the, I want a response. That's just the way I am. So, and the youth, they know that. I, I expect them to answer me, because if not, it's going to be a long class. So, um, you guys, uh, I know this is kind of a weird question to ask in a sermon, but how many of you guys remember when the Fast and the Furious movie came out back in 2001? A few? Well, if you're my age, you remember it because I was in high school when it came out, and that was, poof, it was huge. That was a huge movie. There were, like, everybody back in 2001, there's no telling how many speeding tickets were written in 2001 just because of that movie. Yeah, right? Okay. So when I was in high school, we, in, in the movie, you know, it's all these fast cars that are painted all cool, and they go, like, like mock, zero to Mach 10 in 10 seconds, and they sound awesome, and what I remember the most about that movie is what happened after the movie. When I got to school, everybody in a Honda Civic or a Ford Focus or a Chevy Cavalier, they put a spoiler on their car, they put flames down the side of it, and they put mufflers under it to make it sound fast, and as soon as they went off, it was like, barely would even move. I mean, I had an S10 growing up. That was my first vehicle. It was a stick shift. And takeoff speed, I could get out on foot and beat it. So, and my S10 could beat half the cars that had the flames and the spoilers on it, right? What's that? I didn't have a spoiler on mine, no. No, okay, I just, no, I, I didn't. I didn't want it to look too fast, I guess. Um, but I, I say all this because you can make something look beautiful on the outside, and it's kind of deceiving, but only on the inside, the driver, they're the only ones that knows what's actually in it. And it could look like a rust bucket, but there could be a monster under that hood, and nobody knows about it until that driver hits the pedal, right? Uh, nobody knows it. So the motor, I, I would say, is the heart of that vehicle. That's the heartbeat of it. So you can paint the outside and make it look good, but what's on the inside is what matters, and only the driver knows it. And I think you guys can see where I'm going with this. That's our hearts. That's us. That's how Jesus, Jesus is the driver. He's the only one that knows. He's the only one that can see us. He's the only one that can see our hearts. He knows what's pure. I can look like holier than thou on the outside. Look at me. Look at how I pray. Look at how I teach. Look at how I'm with everybody. Look how much of a people's person I am for God. But Jesus sees exactly what's under the hood. He can see exactly what's in your heart. He knows. And he knows. And he's the only one that matters. He's the only one that counts that knows. And what, where I'm going with that isn't that typical of where America is today, where appearance is everything, where appearance is everything and substance is nothing, 
what's underneath the surface doesn't really matter. It's what it looks like, what, everything, what kind of house I got, no matter how much debt I'm in, what kind of vehicle I got, no matter how much debt I'm in. As long as it looks good and I look like I'm this, what's truly inside of it doesn't matter. That's not Jesus. That's not Jesus. That's not how he operates, and that's how we shouldn't operate either. Substance should matter, and that's uh, a big thing where appearance means everything. And this morning, we need to understand that substance matters, and it matters in the kingdom of God. Now, I know appearance is big in America, but it's not big in the kingdom of God. Substance is what matters in the kingdom of God. And that is the point of the sixth beatitude that we're going to turn to today in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. And that beatitude is blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, we've been going through the Beatitudes over the past few weeks by Jesus and his famous Sermon on the Mount. And uh, this morning, we'll continue that in, verse, in uh, chapter 5, verse 8. And as you're turning there, which I'll, I'll be turning with you guys, um, and if you beat me there, well, I guess we could be like fast and furious in the Bible. Who gets there fastest? I'm kidding. That's a dad joke. Bella's the only one that would laugh at that. <laughs> um, we, uh, we're, this is one of the more important principles in the Christian life, I believe, in this beatitude right here. And I'm still not on where I should be. Okay. So, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, even though the Sermon on the Mount was given over 2,000 years ago, I believe this beatitude is still just as relevant today in church as it was to the people that it was back then. It's just as relevant. So... Um, Sorry, guys. I, I'm trying to keep with my notes. If I could give this, if I could give this, uh, this whole sermon, if I could give it a theme, well, this part of my sermon, if I could give it a theme, I would say, I would call it the matter of the heart is the heart of the matter because that's where it's at is the heart. And you can find that, and uh, you guys don't have to turn there, but there will be a few places where I'll ask you guys to turn with me. This isn't one of them. It's Proverbs 4.23. And if you want to, that's fine. You can go ahead, but I'm going to be bouncing around a little bit. But there will be big parts of Scripture where I'll ask you to turn to read with me because we'll stay there just for a minute. But this isn't one of those times. It says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, Scripture, it, pl it places a strong emphasis on the heart. Scripture places, and I think as Christians we can agree on that, that Scripture places a strong emphasis on our heart and a strong emphasis on good and evil. That's where it comes from. Good and evil comes from the heart. And I think we can all agree on, even people that aren't Christians, I think would agree on that, that it all starts from the heart. And another place in Scripture, and this is where I, I would like you guys to turn with me, is in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. And that's another place in Scripture where this would back that up. Chapter 6, verse 45. It says, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. From the abundance of his heart, the mouth speaks. So if you want to know what's truly inside of someone, just watch how they act. And if you really want to know how they, how, what their insides are, listen to what they say. Listen to what comes out of his or her mouth on a day-to-day -day basis. Because eventually, what's in here is going to come out. And if you're around people a lot, you know what's in there because you eventually hear what they're speaking. And it says out of, uh, right, uh, right here in, at the end of that verse, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If it's in there, if, there's, if it's abundantly in there, it's going to come out. Yeah, people can fake it. They can put on this facade of, 
I'm a great guy and all this, but eventually, eventually, if you're around them long enough, it's going to come out. It's going to come out exactly what's in their hearts. Exactly what's in their hearts. And that's, that's not me being judgmental. That's not judgmental. That's realistic. That's, that's the honest truth. And that's what we want is truth. When Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, of the heart his mouth speaks, it means, he's consistently, it means that consistently using sinful words or doing sinful deeds, that's not consistent with the pure heart. That's not consistent with the pure heart. In Matthew 5, 8, it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It doesn't say, blessed are the sinful in heart, for they shall see God. So, the, and it's a sin problem, uh, not a sin problem, it was a sin problem as well, but a heart problem. It was a problem with the heart that caused the great flood in Noah's day. That's what caused it. It was a heart issue. You guys will turn with me because I'm going to stay there just for a second. Genesis 6, 5. And in Genesis 6, 5, this is talking about how wicked the earth was. The earth was, was very wicked. It says, the Lord saw the, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It was only evil continually. And there are consequences of this, and we're going to see what the consequence that, brought up, that was brought upon them because of the wicked thoughts and their evil deeds. We're going to continue reading down through verse 14, and we're going to see exactly what happened. So if you'd read with me, starting in chapter 6. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him out of his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. So what, what, what I'm getting out of when I read this, it makes me think of outward appearances. We're talking about the cars and what's on the inside. So God's not so worried about the outward appearance. He's more worried about the inside. He's more worried about the condition of our hearts. That's what caused him to wipe out almost everything on the face of the earth, except for Noah and everything that got on the ark. And I'm going to talk about David. I talked about David in my last sermon. We talked about him and his heart. He's always, in, he, he loved God, but he was always messing up. He always had, always having mistakes, but his heart was always fixed on God. And I'm going to read about when David was on his deathbed and he was talking to his son Solomon. And you can, we're going to read that in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read chapters, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And I have it marked, so I'm way ahead of you guys. I'll give you a second. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Like I said, this is David. He's on his deathbed. He's talking to his son Solomon. And it's, he's, it's showing, and this, to me, it shows, because at the end, in verse 4, it talks about the faithfulness of his heart, that how important that is. In verse 2, it says, When David's time drew near, he commanded Solomon, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, 
If your sons pay close attention in their, to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So I want to focus on verse 4 where it says to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart. With all their heart. So if that, he's saying they'll have sons on the throne as long as you do these things. That's a big thing to have your sons on the throne of Israel. But that being one of the marquee things to have in there is to have faithfulness with all your heart. Because without faithfulness in all your heart, what happens? We just discussed that. When you don't have faithfulness in your heart, that, that's going to rule what you do. Your heart's going to rule everything that you do. Then when we get saved, we, the Holy Spirit enters our heart. So he's the one that rules us then. But right here we're talking about the, how it rules your heart. And so David, he's showing his son the importance of walking in faithfulness. He's, walking the, he's showing his son the importance of walking in faithfulness with all his heart. And as I mentioned earlier, that this is one of the more important uh, principles in the Christian life that we see in Scripture. So, blessed are the heart, or blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What is it? What is to have a pure heart? What is to have a pure heart? Does anybody know? Does anybody know at all to have a pure heart? How do we get a pure heart? So, there's nothing, and its answer is super simple and super easy, and it's super easy to do. But it's amazing to me that people will fight it against it. They'll say, oh, I don't believe in that, Jared. I just can't believe that. The, 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 the only way is outside. Is there's nothing that we can do outside of trusting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He's what purifies us. There's nothing we can do, no act we can perform, no job we can, we can do to earn our way there, to get a pure heart. Jesus, by his blood cleansing us, that purifies our hearts. That's the only way. That's the only way. There's no works. Nothing we can do. There's, <clears throat> we can only give, we're only given pure hearts because of our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That's how we have a pure heart. So the only way to see God is by having our sinful, uh, our sinful hearts cleansed by faith through the blood of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's how you have a pure heart, and you will see God once your heart has been purified through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how you see God. And that's where I'm going to start. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to talk about Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 9. And that's, this, one, this one's one of my favorites. Um, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, why are the pe- why are they called, what are peacemakers, uh, or what are the sons of God when he's calling it that? It's because they have been given new hearts through Jesus and are reflecting the peace of God when they are, <clears throat> and they are, as they are made more and more like him. They're given new hearts through Jesus Christ, and they're made more and more like him. That is the, that's the sons of God. That's how you're, uh, <clears throat> that's, that's how you're called sons of God. I'm sorry, my, my mouth is very dry. I'm battling that while I'm trying to talk, and it's in the back of my brain. It's like, your mouth's getting very dry. You need a drink. <laughs> the other part of me is trying to fight through it and talk, and I finally, I hit, a, I hit an impasse, so I got to get a drink. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, t- I think out loud a lot, and I think it helps. I don't know why I think it helps, but it does. Because after I say it, I can feel my nerves go back down. It's like, okay, now you're good. Um, yeah, not your typical speaker, I know. Um, so and, uh, now the word peacemakers in this context is those who promote God's peace. And the word peace in Hebrew is shalom. And I, I know some of you know that. Most of you probably know that. And shalom, and that's what, when I was in Iraq, I remember I'd hear that when I was, when you'd hear people when they'd greet each other, what are they, shalom or salam aleikum. Let's say things like that, and that's defined as total or complete well-being. Like, I'm doing well. I'm doing really good, like completely good. How are you doing? Shalom. Like, that's a complete well-being. That word peace, 
that we're defining in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 is a call. And this is a call. The, the, the verse that, that this is right here is a call for all Christians to live at peace with one another. But it's also a call for us to live at peace with those outside the faith as well. Um, and I like this part of the sermon. This is what I really focused in on. I, 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 something about this. God just spoke to me as I was uh, reading through and praying about it. And Jesus, he knew. He knew there would be strife in church. He knew there would be divisive people in congregations. He knows we're fallen people. He knows we're, we're sinful at heart. And he knows when you get this many people together, there's going to be fighting. That's just the way it is. And it's because of our, the sinful nature in us. And he knew there would be all this, but he knew there would be arguing and bickering. And he knew it would destroy. It, had the, it has the potential to destroy one of the most important things in a church. That's its unity. That's its unity. It has the potential to destroy us as a church. And Satan would love nothing more than that, to get in God's house and start putting his people against each other, pitting us against one another. Jesus didn't die on the cross for that. Jesus knew all these things. You know, there's a saying. There's a saying that there's, a, there's no true peace. There's no true peace after war. After war is over, there's not actually peace. And I like this right here. And when I read it, I thought, that's, that's the money. And it should never, ever be us as a church. This right here, what I'm about to say, it should never apply to us, ever. Peace is that glorious moment in history when everyone stops to reload. Did you catch that? Peace is that glorious moment in history when everyone stops to reload. They go to their dark corners, they start talking, and from the outside, it looks like everything's good. Everybody's at peace, everything's good, but in reality, what's really going on is everybody's just getting reloaded, getting their guns ready for the next battle, because I know what she said, I know what he said, I know sooner or later, that side of them is going to come out again, and I'm going to be ready for it. That's getting ready. That should never be in a church, ever. We shouldn't be focused about what everybody's doing. We shouldn't be focused about what they think or what they're going to say. We shouldn't be focused about other churches, about why they're successful and why we're not successful. We should be focused on one thing and one thing only, and that's Jesus Christ. That's the only thing we should be worried about. That's the only person we should be following. That's it. We should be focused on Jesus Christ. I want you to turn with me, and this right here, I love this. It just, last week... I was reading it, and, I, and it had nothing to do with the sermon, but I thought, that's it. That's how, and I love it. I've always wanted to put it in a sermon. Well, then it's like, there you go. Here it is. So John chapter 21, John chapter 21, the gospel of John chapter 21. This is one of my favorite things. It's when Jesus, when he comes to seven of the disciples, and this is the third time that they see him, right? So once we're there, we're going to camp out here just for a minute. Because I believe that's what's recorded here is really going to help us in, in looking in, about what we should be doing as individuals and as a church and when it comes to making peace. And, it, and when I see the disciples always arguing and stuff, and you see Jesus kind of interject and he tells exactly what they should be doing. I look at that as that can go in my family at home or it could be here with my family with my church when I see Jesus and how he corrects them. That could be applied in everything we do with each other. So here... The seven disciples, they have been fishing all, all <clears throat> they've been fishing all night. Fishing all night, they ain't, they ain't caught any, they haven't caught a single thing. And they're, they're starting to come back to shore, and they hear a man, and he tells them, he says, cast, the, cast your net off the right side of the boat. Just see what happens. At this point, they don't know it's Jesus. They just think it's some man up there. So they, they throw it over the boat, 
And sure enough, it's so much, they can't even pull it in. They can't even pull the net up. And at that moment, Peter, he realizes it's Jesus. So what does Peter do in true Peter fashion? He doesn't wait for the boat to get up there. He just jumps in. He just jumps in the water. He swims to the shore. He meets Jesus. Well, the rest of the disciples, they go ahead and they drag the net with them up to the shore. As he's dragging them up to the shore, they, uh, they get there, they get the fish, and, they're, and it's morning time because day, day had just broke. So they're going to eat fish for breakfast, and, they, and Peter and Jesus enter a conversation. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 20 when they enter this conversation. Actually, I'm going to go up to 19. Uh, sorry for whoever put the stuff up here. <laughs> um, we, I'm, actually, I'm going to bump up to verse 19. Peter's talking to Jesus right here. And Peter, he's talking, and, and, and Jesus, at the end of verse 19, he's telling him about how he's going to die, pretty much, how he's going to be martyred. And it says, this is to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, after saying this, he said to him, and Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Jesus told him that. So, and, and Peter, and we're going to verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus followed him, <clears throat> saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, and we know that to be John, the disciple who, whom Jesus loved following them, and the one who also had leaned back against him during the Last Supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So that's, that's, that's Peter. They're sitting there, they're eating breakfast, they're eating fish for breakfast, and he's looking at Jesus after Jesus just told him pretty much how he's, how he's going to meet his end. And Peter sees John. And he point, I don't know why he points out John, why he thinks that. I don't know. But he points out John. He says, what about that man right there? What's going to happen to him? You see, you see where I'm going with this. He's more worried about what's going on with the guys around him than what's going to be going on in his own life. He's like, what's going to happen to that guy right there? And I love what Jesus says. When Peter saw him, he said, Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? That's pretty, that's pretty straightforward, is it not? If he remain until I come, what's that to you? What's he say after that? You follow me. That's all that matters. You follow me. He just straight up told him exactly the only thing he needs to know in life. You follow me. He's not worried about everybody else. Don't worry about the other disciples. Don't worry about what their ministry is going to be doing. Don't worry about how they're going to die. You follow me. That's the only sole thing you need to focus on. Because if, if, you, if you follow Jesus, he's going to take care of the rest. Amen? He's going to take care of the rest if you just follow him. He may take you some places you don't want to be. He may make you do some things you don't want to do. But he will see you through it. If you follow him, he will see you through it. People go through hard times every day. Christians go through hard times. Unsaved people go through hard times. Atheists go through hard times. But Jesus sees us through them. That's why you see Christians suffer well. And they can see it, and that is a testament. I've seen it in the last month. I've seen Christians that are suffering, but they suffer well. And that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's for me, I watch that. I see that with my own eyes, and I'm learning from it, watching them. Because I think, what if that was me? How would I, be able, would I be able to handle it like that? So just watching that strengthens me as a Christian. And, it's like, and, and I know where they get that power. They get that power from Jesus Christ. If you follow him, he will show you how to suffer well. And, and I'm going to go ahead and read through to the last thing that Jesus says. And it says, So saying, the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. So these disciples, they were talking amongst each other like, Well, he's not supposed to die. They're not supposed to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But, so he didn't tell him straight up, he's not going to die. This is what Jesus tells him. If it is my will that he remain until I come, 
what is it to you? What is it to you? What's it, what's it to you if, if, if he remain until I come? What is it to you? That just, for some reason, that just spoke to me. It's always spoken to me because everybody's so worried about everybody else, especially with social media now. You can see what everybody's doing every hour of the day. Everybody's worried about everybody else. We should be worried about following Jesus Christ. That's what we should be worried about. That's what we should be doing is following him, and that's coming from Jesus. And this is the disciples. These guys have seen, um, they've seen Jesus raised from the dead. They watched him nailed on a cross. They've seen him three times. They know this. I wouldn't be worried about what so-and-so is doing. I, at least I think that. I might. I don't know. I, have, I wasn't there. But they've seen all this, yet they're still arguing with each other. They're still worried about what the other one's going to be doing. They've seen all this. So I know today... 2,000 years later, that we're going to have those same things happen with us. So, but as Jesus says, follow me. That's the only things we need to be concerned with is following Jesus. The church should be a body of believers seeking and studying Jesus Christ. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the one that can bring true peace. When everything's going wrong, when everything inside of a church, churches split, churches get start building back up, then something happens and the church splits again. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. If we're following him, those, those splits, those, those uh, arguments inside the church, that's not going to be nearly as bad because we're going to have conflict, but it's how we handle the conflict. It's how we talk to one another. It's how we, how we if, if Josh had a problem with me, it's how I talk to him. If I'm in there and I'm having it out and I'm yelling at him, that's not the way Jesus would want us to handle that. It's given, laid out to us in Scripture how we should handle things like that in love. That's how we're supposed to do it. And, I, and I'm just as guilty as the next guy. I mean, dirty laundry, here it comes. Amanda and Bella and Sawyer. They've... They've seen me at my worst. They've seen me yell. They've seen me get angry. And I mean, sometimes it's not even at them, it just comes out across to them. That's something in the last year or two I've really tried to work on, and I, I feel like I've done much better at it. But 10 years ago, that wasn't the case. When I say yell, I mean... And not at the kids, maybe a little bit, but with Amanda, yeah. Was I abusive? No. But it's the tone, the things I said to her. I should, I, I, I should have never have done that. But in my, like I've said, in church, peace, and I can relate it to the home because I know the second I surrendered the ministry and I started, and I could feel those feelings come back. That just, that anger, you don't, I, I'm, I have a tendency to get, I can get angry really fast. I'm not, no, I don't have anger issues, but I want somebody to think I'm going to go up here and punch a hole in the wall behind me, but I just, and I, I, I don't know, I, peace, once I start, once I surrender the ministry and I started bringing it to home, we start reading our Bibles more and more. I've noticed when those urges come, when I can feel it, I know because I can feel Jesus God, that's not how we act. You're going to have to go in front of everybody Sunday morning. That's going to be in the back of your brain. You can't do that. It's the dirty vessel. I can't use a dirty vessel. You have to be clean. And that's a hard road to toe, I promise you, trying to make sure that you're good to go before you talk to everybody else. That's a hard one. 
Because it's easy for me to go home and do that and then come here and just sit down back there and watch and be like, okay, you're right, I do need to start acting better. But when you're the ones telling people how they should be doing it because God's given that to you, that's hard to do when you're at home doing those things. And that convicted me like no other. So I knew to have true peace in there. And I'm not saying it was a war zone in our house, but when it happened, it was on. Like it was, here's the battle line. And it was, it was, it was a bit, there's been some battles. But you give it to Jesus, you give it to the Prince of Peace, he's going to take it through it. And, it's, and honestly, it's, a lot of it was selfishness. It's because she didn't see where I was coming from. It was selfish. And I think in church, as church members, we can get selfish. And when you're selfish, when self comes first, peace in any relationship in the church, be at home, that's going to be the last thing that's in there. When everybody's focused in on me, I, I don't like what the preacher's preaching this Sunday. I don't like what the songs were last Sunday. I don't like the small group material or the lessons that was taught. I don't feel like coming to church next Sunday. Whenever I comes first, you can bet, you can bet your bottom dollar. Peace is going to be the last thing that comes around when you're selfish. Selfless and loving people, that's people that are selfless. You'll see the most united people when they give everything they have for each other. In the Marine Corps, I learned that. When you give everything for the other guy, you don't have to worry about half the things you should be because you know he's got you, especially when there's more than two of you. Then you're good. And I know there's Marines in here right now, and they know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's the way it should be in church. We shouldn't be worried about who's talking about us. But it, it, when so, I've heard it put like this. I'm not, I'm not mad at you because they were gossiping to you. I know, I know they weren't. You didn't say anything bad about me. I'll just say, Amanda, she's easy to pick on because I've got to go home with her. If somebody was gossiping to Amanda about me, I wouldn't be mad at the person gossiping to her. I'd be mad at Amanda. You know why? Because they're comfortable going to her about me. That's what would bother me. Why are they comfortable going to you? It's like my brother. I have a brother. Nobody ever talks crap to me about him because they know I'm not going to like it because that's my brother. He might, I, I, I'm messed up. He might be messed up, but you're not going to tell me anything about him, and they know it, and everybody knows it. You're just, and, and that's because we're family. That's the way it should be in church. Outside people, that's fine, but we should, it, should, it should be where somebody feels uncomfortable to go gossip or say something they shouldn't say about someone else. Because they know how tight you are. They know how close-knit you are. They know that unity amongst each other. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Trying to keep my thoughts together. Thank you. So Jesus, he's calling us to restore, to restore. He's calling us in the seventh beat to restore peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall see God. If you would turn with me to the book of Colossians. And Paul, he's writing in the book of Colossians in chapter 3, verse 12 and 14. And in youth, we've been going through Colossians. I love the book of Colossians. And this is, this is way off my sermon topic. This is way off of everything. But since I'm here, I'm going to read it to you guys anyways. Because I don't know about you, but I don't eat lunch till 1 o'clock, so I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, and it, it, I know I said we're going to turn to chapter 3, verses 12 and 14. And if you're there in your Bibles behind the pews, that's page 984. 
But before I read that, I'm going to read this, which has nothing to do with my sermon. In youth, I've been calling it Rooted Youth Ministry. And I've been thinking about a name. I've been wanting to name the youth for a while, and it's nothing's really settled, and I'm not going to push anything through. But this verse, it just it spoke to me, and you'll, get, and you'll see why in verse 8 as I read through it. But in chapter 2, if you just look to the left a little bit, and you read 6 through 10, I think this applies perfect to our youth because they're about to be cut loose in colleges and everything else where philosophies are going to come out and they're going to try and change the way they think. I've known people in my grade, once they went to college, they would just something about them that was different when they came back. They just, I don't know what it is. Well, I do know what it is, but we're going to read uh, verses 6 through 10. And it says, therefore, and this is, these are the verses that I was reading, and then I thought, that's it. That is it. And I make them from now on. And last Wednesday we started it. I make them read, I, and a different person each time is going to read these four verses. So by the time they graduate, they're going to know it by heart. They're going to not even have to even look at Colossians 2, uh, 6 through 10. They're just going to be able to say it. It says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one, this is it, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole, whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you, will, <clears throat> and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. That's what they need to be. They need to be rooted as deep as they can go. And the more fertile the ground, the deeper those roots can go. So when those storms come those, the, from the world come, they're not just going to be toppled over just like that. That's what I think. And I know for fertile ground, we're the ones that have to provide that for them. We have to give them a place to grow, for them roots to grow deep. I'm not going to talk about that anymore. <laughs> That's just for the youth. So back where I'm going at. All right, so... We're talking about peace, and this is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if a, has a, one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must also forgive. And above all, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together. In perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We're all on the same team. We're not enemies. When one of us has a victory, we should all have a victory. When one of us has a victory, we should all revel and help and congratulate the other person. It's not a competition. We're, we're the same body. That's the body of Christ. And Christ saved us so that we could be at peace with one another. He died. He, he died so that we could go to heaven, so we could spend eternity and not go in hell. And that's having peace with one another. Heaven is a very peaceful place. Whenever we choose to act selflessly and lovingly and choose to be at peace with one another, then we're allowing Christ's peace to rule in our hearts. Christ's peace not only stops the, it not only stops the conflict, it replaces the conflict. He, he stops the conflict, then he replaces it. He takes a bad thing out and he replaces it with something good. He replaces it with righteousness, right? He replaces it with unity, and he replaces it with harmony. He'll replace it with better, he's gonna and he's going to replace the conflict. So staying in the book of Colossians, we're going to read chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. 
verses 19 and 20. Jesus Christ, he brings back, he brings back together God and man, reconciling and bringing peace. So this is the ultimate peace right here. And it says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Making peace by the blood of his cross. That's the ultimate peace. On the cross, that's where the Son of God, Jesus, that's where he was mocked on the cross. That's where he was cursed. That's where he was spit on. That's where he was pierced. And that's where he was killed. Disciples were terrified. They fled. They ran. And the lightning started flashing. The earth started shaking violently. The, the veil in the temple was torn in two. Yet through all this violence and all this chaos, God brought peace. God's righteousness overcame. And because God's righteousness overcame, peace won. Peace won because righteousness overcame. It's a peace that the world, this world we live in, that's the kind of peace that they can't take away. That's the kind of peace that they cannot take away from us. Amen? So if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, I, I don't know by looking at you. Only you know. If you're not a Christian, if you've never professed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior, if you've never believed it in your heart, you need to call upon him. You need to call upon him. He's the Prince, he's the prince of Peace. And if you've never called upon him, you need to pay very close attention to the verse I'm about to tell you right now. And it's found in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. And it explains in detail how to experience true peace. True peace, eternal peace, everlasting peace. And it says, because if you confess with your mouth, with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses, and is saved. That's how you do it. It's very simple. It's not complicated. It's one of the easiest things you could ever do with the best reward you'll ever have. So today, today, if you haven't done that, you need to choose Christ's peace. You need to choose it today.